Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk, Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll look back at 50 years of the games console. Plus, Emmett Ryan brings us up to speed on the trial of Sonny Bolwani, the latest twists and turns in the story of Theranos and Angarda Shiakana issue fresh warnings about smishing, vishing and other scams. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Later in the show, we'll also hear from Derek Riley, who'll be reviewing an EV by Skoda. Uh, so that is coming up as well. But we are now going to return to one of the stories that I have been incredibly fascinated by over the last number of years. Uh, and it relates to Elizabeth Holmes. I mentioned on last week's show that we have covered uh, Elizabeth's trial with Emmett Ryan for quite some time. But now her former romantic partner and the chief operating officer of Theranos um, is facing trial. And Emmett Ryan of the Business Post is back with me now to talk through what Sonny is up against and what is likely to happen. Uh, Emmett, welcome back to the show. Uh, great to be back and uh, always amusing to talk Theranos. Uh, Sonny Balwani finally getting centre stage after being sort of a background character in this drama for so long, so to speak. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember talking to you when just before the Elizabeth Holmes trial started and uh, allegations or there was insinuations that issues about Sonny's controlling behaviour and abusive behaviour towards Elizabeth may be brought forward. So there's been quite a bit of, you know, I wouldn't say mudslinging, but, you know, trying to... I suppose, muddy his image slightly in the background throughout all of this. Is he going to get a fair trial, do we think? Uh, That's a very good question. Um, I suppose there's two ways of looking at this. In one case, given, you know, that Holmes still got a pretty hefty sentence, it would imply the jury didn't really buy whatever she was saying about Balwani. But that doesn't mean people who are now on this jury, you know, won't have bought it to some degree. And he's on it's a separate trial, obviously, but very similar charges to Elizabeth Holmes. And the basic task for the prosecution here is to somehow make the argument that he was the real string puller in Theranos. When, of course, they have just sent Elizabeth Holmes to jail for a lot of things which we would assume were done by the person who was running the show. So that's a challenge, essentially, for the prosecution here. They've got to be able to show that Balwani is at least as culpable as Elizabeth Holmes uh, for the actions of her and that even though it's a separate trial, uh, he should be getting pretty much similar, if not, you know, greater punishments. Yeah, and just to remind everyone, um, so Elizabeth Holmes, she faces up to 80 years in jail and a $1 million fine. Uh, So she was convicted on one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud and three counts of wire fraud related to defrauding investors. So she's up against quite a bit and and that's going to be decided, I think, in September of this year. So it'll be interesting to see if more comes out during the Balwani trial or if it's just going to be a rehashing of the issues that we heard during the Holmes trial. Uh, I think a lot of it will be rehashing. The real question is how will the prosecution go after the character of... Uh, of, of Balwani and what where they'll go about it from there and you know 
I think, you know, if, if you're the Holmes team, like, you know, you're probably thinking it would be a good idea to at least see if you providing whatever info you can on Balwani to the prosecution, if it's in any way beneficial, can help with the, you know, with, with, with the sentencing for Elizabeth Holmes in September. So you've got to factor that into play. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, it's only just kicked off. The defense is basically taking the approach from what we can see of, listen, he wasn't the one making the calls, you know, mm. and uh, that's a reasonable approach for them to take. Whether they, it's enough to get reasonable doubt is another matter. Like if they were prosecuting on that argument, shall we say, it'd be a much harder case for them to to pull. But they don't have to. They don't have. To, they have to do is get reasonable doubt in here. Mm. So he's certainly got a more survivable position than Elizabeth Holmes. But I suppose the big thing against him, and it goes back to you asking about a fair trial, is he's always been portrayed through the podcasts, through the books, through the TV series, as this shady character. Whether he is or not, he has certainly been given that image in the public face yeah and i'm glad you brought up the tv show because i played a clip of it on the program last week and one of the things that stands out to me is and i could be completely wrong right this is just my view of it but there's almost a portrayal of elizabeth holmes as being a flawed genius and him being the dark ill-tempered puppet master in the background that's the perception i get from the tv show to the point where I've actually had to step away from it a little bit because I don't want it muddy, like, you know, muddling up what the reality versus the perception of it. Yeah, but like, if you think about it, there's been so much content around this developed over the last couple of years, like even us talking about us on this show, Jess, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but even if you're, you know, if you're a juror in that part, like you're, you know, someone who lives around the valley, the odds are you hear all the odd rumors here and there. And even if you've the least interest in tech, this thing has been so front and center there's an image in the head of the average person who lives in California of, oh yeah, that Balwani guy, wouldn't be trusting him now. And that's going to hurt his defence case no matter what. Now, whether it is enough to get any mitigation from the judge, hard to say, but it makes it very, very tough for them. Okay, so do we anticipate the same back and forth? Because, uh, again, just as a reminder for those who who didn't follow it as closely as nerds like Emmett and I did, uh, there was a bit of controversy around, you know, jury selection. There was a few hiccups along the way. Do we see it as being as dramatised as that? Or is this just very much ticking a box of going through the motions with him so that they can both be sentenced later this year? For all we've said so far, I think it really is going to be the latter because he's just not as interesting a character in the public eye. Like, I know it sounds horrible to say, but like there was a compelling story with Holmes, like, and he, but he was a supporting role in this story if we're looking at it as a drama. And from the prosecution sense, trying to make him a superstar, so to speak, doesn't help them. Like, they've got a simple job to do, which is get him convicted of similar charges to Holmes. And I think it'll be very by the numbers will be their approach. If they succeed, I think they will, to be honest, um, you know, as another matter. But like, I think they're going to be as by the numbers as they can here. I think it'll be a lot less dramatic than the Holmes trial was. Do we think, and I don't know if this is possible, so this could be a stupid question, but like, could Elizabeth Holmes make an appearance at the Sonny Balwani trial? I haven't seen anything in relation to that. Like, he didn't make an appearance at hers, so mm. I would expect her to not at his, unless there is a deal coming out of nowhere for the prosecution to, like, you know, give her a nicer deal for him. But, like, if you're, like, you know, the, the state in this case, you're looking at it as a case of she's the bigger fish in terms of things. Anything we do with her in the courtroom is going to probably hurt us because it's looking like we're saying, oh, well, now she's not the bigger fish. And, you know, somehow this guy's the bigger fish, even though we've already convicted her. It muddies things a bit too much. And no matter what they try and get out of her, 
it's more likely to be a net benefit to the defence. Okay, well, look, we will, of course, uh, bring you up to speed and follow this case very, very closely. If you haven't listened to the podcasts, watch the TV show, read the book. I mentioned it last week. It's by John Kerry Roo um, and it's called Bad Blood. It is fascinating and it looks at the case of Elizabeth Holmes and indeed Sonny Balwani. Uh, Emmett Ryan, the technology editor with The Business Post. Thanks, as always, for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks for having me, Jess. Now, earlier this week on Garda Shia reiterated warnings about vishing, smishing and other types of digital scams. Newstalk reporter Tom Douglas was down at an event with Angarda Shia and spoke to Detective Inspector Mel Smith, who outlined what you need to know about these scams and how they work. So the MO for the fraudsters, if what he has to do or she has to do, is basically set up a, a bulk messaging service. Uh, there is bulk message providers used by marketing companies around the world, legitimate. Um, and he will or she will set up an account with these providers where they can send uh, messages out to thousands of people in a given day. And they'll give a, a range of numbers, and so those messages will go out. Today, there's going, there's going to be thousands of messages sent to our citizens from fraudsters. They will uh, have a, a message on that, which will be an alarming message or something that will attract attention and cause you to think and to act. In banking uh, messages, it will often insert itself into a chain of text messages from the bank. It's basically, if you operate with Bank of Ireland, uh, they will put something in the background that will, uh, of the message that will allow that message to be inserted into the chain. So when the customer receives that uh, message, uh, they will think that it's from the AIB and the, the link will always have a reference to AIB or Bank of Ireland or Ulster Bank or whatever bank it might be. So uh, I could be a PTS customer and I will get a text from AIB and I disregard it. But they're sending out so many messages, they're going to find the customers from the bank that they're, that they're operating on at that particular time. When you click on that link, it'll bring you straight to a, a bank website and look very genuine. You log in. You do your login, online login, and at that point, the fraudster is probably monitoring that particular website, and he now is in possession of your online uh, access to your account. So he can get into your account or she, and uh, they see your balance, and they'll know exactly what money you have. So um, the advice then is uh, never click on links. Unsolicited text, never click on the link. Uh, if you don't click on the link, delete the message. Um, it will, it's good to report it to your bank because the bank will know that a, a smishing operation or to a company that's been been scammed that let them know that um, this uh, operation is starting. Because oftentimes uh, a smishing fraud is done by organised criminal organisations, international, uh, a lot of times. Um, but it's important that uh, the, your bank would know that this particular scam is starting because they will then uh, they will actually suspend that link and they would take action then to protect their customers. And, and obviously they're very keen to protect their customers and, and the, the bank itself. Never give away your PIN number, your one-time codes or your passwords. The bank will never ask you for those. Absolutely, you'll never ask for your PIN, your one-time security code that I mentioned, your six-digit code, or any other passwords that you, that you have. Uh, I can't emphasise that. The bank will never ask you for that. Yeah, that was Detective Inspector Mel Smith, that audio reporter, Tom Douglas. I would love to hear from you. Have you been impacted by these scams? I've received countless uh, text messages purporting to be my bank, to be energy providers, so many different things, and it is incredibly frustrating. But I would love to hear from you. If you have been targeted, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com. 
Com. When we come back here on News Talk, we're going to look back at 50 years of the games console. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, last week on the show, we heard about some of the issues with Gran Turismo 7. But today, we are going to cast our minds back 50 years because that is when the very first console was released. Daryl Hanbury is a tax partner with Deloitte, but also head of the technology, media and telecommunications industry group at the company. And he joins me now. Uh, Daryl, before we talk about consoles, can you just give me a bit of insight into your job? Because your title doesn't quite match the perception I have uh, when I think of tax partners. Thanks, Jess, for having me back. Um, yeah, no, I, I like, uh, you know, I've, I've many hats within Deloitte, but the, I do lead our technology, media and telecommunications industry group. So as part of that, uh, I, I serve a lot of clients in the tech industry. Um you know, deal with a lot of issues and they range from, you know, the the, the more mundane and, and, and stable issues like your tax compliance, your audit and all of those pieces. But our industry then does look at, well, how do we use uh, robotics and transformation, digital transformation across all our clients within the, the technology, media and telecommunications industry. So I, I suppose to answer your question, you know, all of our teams have to be very aware um, of the various tech trends and what's going on you know and 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 use those in our dealings with our clients and i'm not gonna i don't want to insult you now right but when i think of the the taxi side the more serious side of your job that to me sounds quite heavy duty so is the tech side is it a fun frivolous part of the job or is it something that will have serious impacts on a serious impact on your clients so it needs to be looked at with a bit of a stern view and understand, you know, what impact different aspects will have on on those clients. Absolutely, yeah. Look, I'm I'm a tax partner uh, in itself, so so I, I I won't call tax anything but exciting and riveting, Jess. But I appreciate not all your listeners would uh, would would agree on that line. But but if you think of say something like a tech trend, like like the metaverse, for example, which is which is all the all the rage now. Um, and within that, there are a, lo- a number of things that, that the companies who are involved in that development are going to have to consider. And that ranges from, you know, what's the regulation around that? We can help with that. What's the, um, you know, set up and develop that? We can help with that. We have software engineers and, and, and et cetera that, that can help with that. We have uh, insight and, and experience across the board in relation to whether that are you know the new regulations coming down the line whether that is the tax treatment of any sales within the metaverse and how that's it's a huge wide ranging thing that needs to be considered um and and to be fair we are we are helping our clients and dealing with that as they're thinking through it how do you assess the the tech trends that will take off versus the ones that will just disappear into the ether for example a number of years ago a phone arrived in for review and it was a 3D phone. And then a few months later, we had 3D TVs. And you would swear by the hype of the press releases that we were all going to be going around and it was going to be like, you know, something from back from the future or whatever. But they've all disappeared into the ether. So how do you ensure that your clients aren't investing and prepping for trends that will just fizzle out? Yeah, look, and I think... You know what what happens is is is, is one we, we don't get everything right I think from, from our from our trends and our developments but I think in terms of 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 developing and working with our clients we we definitely work on a, a more collaborative basis so we don't go in and tell the client this is how it should be done 
we, we go in and we talk to our clients and we say, well, how do you how do you consider or what are you considering in the market? How are you looking to develop it? Have you considered this? Can you look at it from this angle? We're, we're, we're working side by side with 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 our clients. And, and that's across all our businesses and, and, and all our offerings. One of the things that we spoke about um, on that business special I mentioned was the chip shortage and the impact it is having right across the board, not just on you know the obvious things like you know smartphones and laptops and games consoles, which we'll talk about, but also vehicles as well. Has that disruption, is that disruption being felt at the moment? Is it causing serious issues that, that you can tell? Yeah, look, I, I, I think, you know, there's certainly been an increased demand within, you know, the, the motor vehicle and electric cars or, or motor vehicle industry and electric cars are driving that. Um, and that's because electric cars just have a, have a higher spec typically. Um, so, so you get your, your, your fancier tech, you need your fancier chips. Um, and, and, and that is, is really important. Um, we, I think at the time, were probably predicting, you know, that, that, that there'd be, um, you know, a tailing off that the, the shortages would, would probably roll back in towards the end of this year. I think probably some of the developments that have happened in Ukraine, um, and, and, and certainly, and obviously it's not the most important thing about what's going on in Ukraine, but, but, but one of the, 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 the side effects of that has been um, that, that we do expect this, this ship shortage to, to probably continue for a little while longer. And in the context of the chip shortage, um, that was being cited as one of the reasons that we had massive delays when the new Xbox and PlayStation consoles came out. But it was only in chatting with you the last time that I realised that the humble console is 50 years old. Um, That's kind of baffling. And when you think back on all the iterations that we've had um, over that time, what do we know about the first one? Yeah, so so it does. It goes right back to 19, 1972, Jess. So before both you and I were born, mm-hmm. so we'll 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 uh, we'll we'll claim not to have not to have played it. Um, but they did sell about three hundred fifty thousand copies, which I was quite fascinated at the time. Um, you know, it was it was obviously quite rudimentary, but had this the similar starting point of of your typical game console, like a, a console and and you know controllers, etc. Um, it was probably quite quickly so that was the the, the magnavox odyssey um but it you know the one we probably all remember is probably the atari 2600 mm-hmm. and i say we all again I, I i may remember you you may not jess um but but the the you know it was it was the one that you know it had pong it had it had pac-man um games which you will remember and will have played through various iterations of of, of you know classic games i'm sure um but 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 that then moved into the the, the general you know and it hasn't really changed much obviously the, the graphics and the controls and the techno- technology has changed but the the interface if you get a controller you get something addictive and you play it and, and mm. not much has changed in the in the uh in the in the 50 years since yeah it's incredible you know because every month we talk to john riley of the effect.net about new titles that are coming out and one thing that i've noticed over the last two or three years is that the games that come out today, they're almost like cinematic productions. They're years in the works. They have incredible soundtracks. The graphics are stunning. But if you look back at some of those older arcade style games, so whether it is, you know, Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Pong, whatever it is, the simplicity was there. It was it was the challenge and it was interacting with this very high tech technology at the time. Uh, that got the world hooked. And it did take off from a business point of view as well, didn't it? 
No, absolutely. You know, the 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 you know to, to to your point, like like I certainly remember things like Double Dragon and Bubble Bobble and and all the games I played. You but you you were putting literally cassette tapes into a into a into a player to load up a computer game, or or if you were advanced, you might have got a cartridge and put it in and load it up. Now it's it it, it you know the the speed, the access, the all, all of that technology and the underlying technology has come on in leaps and bounds, and it just makes for a much more realistic experience mm-hmm. so I think I think you know but 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 to your second point around it being a a, a real kind of business opportunity you know the, the computer games uh, and, and console markets were 200 billion um so so that's a combination of the pc mobile and console about 200 billion euro um maybe to up to 250 billion euro which is a phenomenal uh, industry and 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 certainly not one that that certainly would come to mind as being, well, you know, it's your, 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 your teenage kid sitting in a basement playing computer games for the weekend. You know, there, there are 900 million, million console players um, in, <laughs> at the current time, which is, which is just absolutely enormous, Yes. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's something that I think about quite a bit because uh, very often people do have that notion of gamers. You know, it's children and a particular type of adult and that's the height of it. But it has exploded. For the last number of weeks, I have been addicted to Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch. I cannot get enough of it. But there's also a serious side to uh, gaming in terms of the esports and the money involved. I spoke to someone last year or 18 months ago here on Tech Talk who told me that the events are going to be more lucrative than the Olympics in terms of brand deals, in terms of prize money. This isn't something that's just a bit frivolous. No, and I, I think, you know, if you, if, you know, the, I certainly when I was growing up, you know, the classic phrase was, was you know, don't let your kids uh, waste their time on those computer games. Get, do, do, do something proper or do something that would be worthwhile and you can earn a living from you know you're absolutely right computer games now and that that gaming industry is 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 something that that you can earn a living from and some of the prize money for for games like Fortnite you know global competitions you know, run into the millions of euros which is absolutely phenomenal and and I think it comes from that basis that you know the 14 to 24 year olds now view gaming as the favorite form of, of their favorite form of entertainment mm-hmm. so they'll they'll think this is better than cinemas this is you know it's not that they don't go to the cinema or don't watch tv or don't watch all the other stuff but this is their favorite and therefore not only are they happy to play it but they're happy to watch other people play it which i think is is hard for some people to comprehend yeah well i think anyone who has kids uh, will know that kids will gladly watch other kids on youtube open toys set up toys play toys play games and that is something that that grows up but I'm intrigued with your business hat on when you look at you know trends at the moment between gaming streaming the changing face of work we are in a real period of like things are shifting at the moment aren't they and there is no crystal ball that can guarantee with 100% that all of the things that matter to us today will still matter in two years' time. Never mind your five or ten years' time. No, absolutely. So, so it's it's you know the digital game purchases, you know those kind of download subscription game passes. That's a real change from you know I, I know I joked and said going and getting the cassette, but you know going and getting the disc and putting it in, you know, and and, and it's a, it's expected to have about sixty five percent of that total whatever 70 billion dollars in 2022 but that is going to grow to about 84 percent by 2025 which is you know it's a, it's a fundamental shift 
um, you know, in terms of, of, of how people interact with computer games and computer games consoles. So even in 2022 alone, there, you know, subscriptions are a critical element of that growth in the market. And there, there are more than 200 million multiplayer and game subscriptions in 2022, which is absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's a, it's a, real, a real significant element of the game um, ecosystem. Um, and it generates a lot of money for, 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 for those involved. Yeah, we spoke briefly um, about this with Der- uh, with uh, John Riley, excuse me, last week on the program. Just about going forward, how are the different um, production houses going to make money? Because if a, if a gamer play, you know pays eighty quid for a game, that's the end of the life cycle for that you know customer on that particular game. And I do think the game passes and that a whole idea of the subscription um, is fascinating. But I wonder. And looking at the wider tech issue, so stepping away just from gaming for a second, what's your read of when the consumer will get fed up with subscriptions? Because I did a piece on News Talk Breakfast a few weeks ago, and if you want to have the best plan on TV streaming services alone, you're looking at 1500 quid a year, which is a lot of money. So is there any idea of at what point we'll turn around going, ah, here, I'm not subscribing to another thing, even if it is 499 a month, because it all adds up? Yeah, and it is interesting because you know I, I think certainly and, and I you know even just to, to continue the segue from the games console, like I think it is those bringing something new. So if you think about it in a games context, it's like, well, can we bring new chapters? Can we have downloadable content? And I know you talked with John last week actually on on on, on the show around that, and the same applies for 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 all types of subscriptions, whether that's streaming, etc. What's new? What are you bringing that's new that can, you know, is, is there another series coming of your favorite show? Where, where, where is that coming from? And when is it coming? And how do I access it? And, you know, so definitely there's an interest. We you know one of our predictions, uh, you know, one of the Deloitte TNT predictions for this year was around churn in the, um, in the, in the video on demand. And we do see those rates getting much higher. So, so that we, you know, people will hit a point and say, actually, you know what, I don't need this now. I've watched Ted Lasso on Apple and you know what, I don't want to watch anything else and the next show is going to come out, the next Ted Lasso is coming out in a year's time. So I'm going to cancel that in October and I'll resubscribe again in August. And I think people will become more and more savvy around that, mm-hmm. um, that you don't need to be a subscriber to a particular show or a particular streaming service for 12 months of the year. There might actually be you know certain shows that you you particularly like and you will subscribe for those shows at the at the point in time yeah i'm always fascinated when yourself and your colleagues at deloitte uh, bring out the new research looking at trends because i do think it uh you know pulls out different stats and different aspects of technology that are not always obvious um and they're always worth uh, checking out we do of course cover them all here on news talk uh daryl hanbury it's always a pleasure to talk to you thank you so much for joining us here on news talk Thanks for having me, Jess. Tech Talk on News Talk. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com, as ever, is the email address if you want to get in touch, or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Um, I have been noticing, and I don't know if it's because of my conversations with my next guest, but I have been noticing electric vehicles everywhere. There are numerous Teslas, you would like to know, I'm sure. Uh, We've seen a number of the Minis around, uh, which we spoke on this programme not that long ago. Uh, They're just popping up absolutely everywhere. Um, And today we're going to talk about another electric vehicle, this time by Skoda. 
And who could we talk to but uh, Derek Riley of the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel. Uh, Derek, how are you? I'm good, Jess. How are you? I'm grand. Are you impressed that I'm noticing electric vehicles everywhere? Is it a case of uh, NLP or brainwashing or talking to Derek for two years? But yes, you're very much like my friends and family and and my uh, long-suffering girlfriend who now can tell the difference in the different models that are out there, Jess. Yeah, I'm kind of getting there. When I was about 16, I worked in a nursery store and uh, I could tell you everything that was like possibly could be known about a Bugaboo, a Quinny Zap, a Stokey Explorer, all of these wow. different things. So I was 16 and I could identify a pushchair a million miles away and I'd go around and, and notice them all. And I feel like that's what you've done to me now about electric vehicles, even though I can't drive. But you know what? And I, I think you were saying it's out and about you're spotting them, spotting them, but you're also spotting them on other social networks. And, and when posts pop up, mm-hmm. it's piquing your interest in one in particular even though you didn't really like the colour. Yeah, so I was, I spend more time, I was saying to Derek earlier on, I spend more time now on LinkedIn than I do on Facebook, which I think, I don't know if it tells you a lot about Facebook or it tells you a lot about me, but there you are. Uh, but I was swiping through LinkedIn, as one does, and uh, a post that caught my eye was your video of this Skoda vehicle. Um, so give us the name and give us the placement in the market. First, we're going to pronounce Skoda correctly. So it's Skoda. No, we're not. We're going to call it Skoda. <laughs> Overruled so it is straight away. Skoda Enyaq. Uh, very, uh, and it takes its name from the Irish singer Enya and put a Q on the end of it. So anything that uh, Skoda do or Skoda do, uh, that is a SUV form and it has a Q to the end of it. So okay. that's where they got the word Enyaq. And then you'll sometimes notice they have the little numerals and letters IV, not mm-hmm. Roman numeral for four. It stands for intelligent vehicle. So the Enyaq EV, very popular in Ireland and Skoda as a brand is very popular in Ireland, part of the Volkswagen group overall. And it's great that we're talking about this car, but it's very difficult for people to get them with supply chain and ordering and all the rest of it. So uh, if we're piquing your interest, best of luck trying to find one. If you do, they have a couple of different sizes. And what I mean by sizes, I mean sizes of battery. So the form of this uh, large SUV would be very similar to the Volkswagen ID4, which is its cousin, the uh, Audi Q4 e-tron, and they're all built on that MEB platform, which is all to do from the Volkswagen group. So the group came together, made a platform, and then Skoda and Seat and Volkswagen and Audi all use the same platform. Okay, and we have talked about that a little bit in the past, but in terms of this Skoda, um, let's just talk a little bit about the form factor of it. So, because the thing, that, as I mentioned there, the thing that I always notice is firstly the, the shape of a car, whether I like it or not. And I'm very judgy about everything, but it, particularly cars as well. I didn't realise I had opinions on them. Um, this does, it, it looks like a decent looking car from the outside. Some people really like it. And you know what? It's not too out of the ordinary. Uh, It's very, because it has a grill at the front, even though it doesn't need it, it's closed off. People would mistake this from one of the combustion engines from Skoda uh, or any other. So it's a large SUV. Some people aren't fans of SUVs either, but it is the market segment that is selling. Families want space. People feel that they want to be up high. Uh, People people feel they want to feel safe. Uh, So that SUV section is the one. So 
this one's actually the of the three that are built on the platform, the Audi Q4 e-tron and the uh, Volkswagen ID4. This one is slightly bigger in in dimensions, slightly longer and slightly wider. So they've they've maximized the space on it. So looks wise, I really like it. And the one that I had was the Sportline. So I've had it before. It comes in a, a regular trim and then a Sportline trim. As you might guess, Jess, mm -hmm. it is a bit sportier and uh, things are blacked out and there's more angles going on. And the one specifically that I had had what was called the crystal face. Oh, please go on. Uh, so it is a ribbed kind of a setup in the grill area and it has LED lights inside in it. So it is very bling. Okay, well, that is good to know. Um, sticking with the outside looks just for a second, the one thing I really didn't like was the grill bit on the front. Mm. It just looks ugly. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's Skoda being safe and saying, right, people who are making the transition from a traditional combustion engine SUV to a an electric one maybe don't want that fully blanked off. There is no grill here, a la Tesla, a la whatever uh, brand you want to go for. The Hyundai Kona, as an example, would have a very smooth front, and that's all to do with aerodynamics. Whereas Skoda, what they've decided to do is we're not going to rock the boat. The mass market aren't ready to take that crazy jump into driving a ufo slash spaceship we're going to give them something that if you handed the keys to your mum or dad or your brother or sister they go oh oh it's electric they wouldn't make that they mm -hmm. wouldn't know straight away and so uh, unfortunately that you don't like it it's selling like hotcakes the vast majority of consumers uh, like it and it's more traditional grill face than the volkswagen id4 it's cousin Okay, let's just uh, talk through, you alluded to the um, the different battery iterations and so on. So just give us the rundown again on the different configurations that you can go for. So you can get a Enyaq 60, an Enyaq 80 and an Enyaq 80X. Mm -hmm. and, for the, and you can get that then with the Sportline variant, Sportline 60, Sportline 80. So what does that mean? 60 means it has a net capacity battery of 58 kilowatt hours. So they're kind of lining up the size of the battery with the number. Uh, and you're not going to have something that's called a Skoda Enyaq 58. You're going no. to round it up. So it's going to be the Skoda 60, Enyaq 60. So that's what we'd call a, one of the smaller batteries or the standard range battery. And then if you want the longer ones, you have the Enyaq 80. And that has a battery of 77 kilowatt hours. Um, range for the smaller one probably it's saying 400 but probably nearer the 320 and then the larger one over 500 on a good day real world probably nearer the 420 or 430. Okay and you you mentioned that you know they're going after or this is sort of targeted at the families who want the big car and all the rest mm. assuming it's like every other EV that we've spoken about that because it doesn't have anything going through the middle of the car there's it's, it's spacious in the back. Jess, you keep going this way, you won't be having me on anymore. Do I know everything about like cars? <laughs> Check me out. Still Except can't drive one. <laughs> I can be in it. I can be driven by it. Yeah. But yeah, no, 100%. It's a flat floor, lots of space inside, the four wheels out on the corners, uh, a, a ginormous boot. Uh, one thing this doesn't have is a frunk. And we, sorry, I'll change that. Thank you. Jess front storage area there we go. Uh, and just Volkswagen Group said no we're not doing it um, and that may be when you go for the X variant which is the 80X X stands for it's a four-wheel drive or it's a it has a dual motors one on each axle and they maybe don't have the space up front to put in a, a bit of space up there for a front storage area okay um then looking at the sort of tech spec inside you said there's a version that's a bit blingy but do we have many gadgets on the console is there much to talk about there 
Um, so on this one, you have a small instrument clustering behind the steering wheel that is fixed into the dash. Some people would like if it was uh, larger, but Skoda have come back and said, listen, if you want uh, visibility in that area, go for the head up display. Uh, the steering wheel is nice. It's got some push buttons and some turny knobs, which uh, unlike its cousin, it's all haptic, et cetera, et cetera. This one is much more tactile. It's got a 13 inch screen, uh, really good integration with uh, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, wireless as well, over the, day, over the air updates. So yeah, the infotainment system within the Volkswagen Group has been criticized that it was kind of glitchy at the start and in some instances it's small gets glitchy now. It's a large multinational trying to get its head around technology that wouldn't have been in, in, in place for a number of years. Whereas you, you look at the likes of Tesla, it's a technology company that makes cars. So mm. there's the difference. It, this is a car company trying to, to be more technology focused. But yeah, I found the infotainment system is a lot better. Uh, and when you have a 13 inch screen, like you're talking nearly as, as big as some laptops, my own laptop is a 13 inch screen. So it's, it's, it's impressive when you plug in your phone. It's even impressive on its own, but when you plug in your phone and you've got your Google Maps or your um, your Waze, whatever satellite navigation system you're using, uh, it looks imp- impressive and it's easy to navigate around. Can I say something that might be a bit controversial now? And I'm not taking a broad stroke. I'm. This is just one story from me. But a few weeks ago, I was in a taxi and it was in a new enough vehicle that had a big uh, infotainment system in the front. And for the majority of the journey, the driver was playing, not playing, but was distracted by and interacting with the infotainment system to the point where I asked to get out early because I didn't feel safe in the car. And this is something that we've kind of spoken about almost in a frivolous nature before about, ah, no, like, sure, like there are certain features that obviously won't work when the driver is driving and so on. And, you know, it's it's there as a tool. And a lot of the vehicles will put up warnings that, you know, when the car comes on, they're not to get distracted and all the rest. But that to me is a real concern because does the benefit of having that ridiculous display outweigh the safety particularly when it comes to taxis or particularly if you're bringing your kids to school or whatever it is that to me was one of the first times I sat up going I really do not like this yeah manufacturers have to take a stance on this and it was a story recently where Tesla if you because it's in the center and if I'm driving and Jess is beside me some screens in the Tesla's allowed the um to play stuff and and watch stuff and you only had to tick a box to say is it the driver or the passenger Mm. that's watching this And if you were a driver and you weren't telling the truth, you could say, oh, it's the passenger watching it. And so Tesla said, you know what, we're going to now take that capability away because people weren't being truthful about it. I know with the um, Android Auto system, if you start scrolling through Spotify, as in looking for a podcast or whatever like that, and it senses that the car is moving, it will say, we're not going to allow you to do this anymore. Uh, it won't allow you to input to type in an address. You have to use the voice control. So I think manufacturers and operating systems like Android or um, uh, Apple or however it may be that's powering these systems, are, they're going to have to be a small bit more. For your safety, we're going to take away some capability while the car is in a forward momentum or it's in the drive mode rather than it being in the park mode. Mm. And Because we need our hands held, unfortunately, and some people just aren't as responsible and all of these cars are great at stopping collisions and warning and blinging and blonging and all the rest of it. But like if people can get away with it, unfortunately, they, they, you know, there are stupid people out there. And you can quote me on that and tweet that to me if you want. But, uh, you know, we, we have to be sometimes managed. Yeah. In, the, in this instance, um, what was happening was 
the driver had put in the location on a map, which I don't fully know why, because it was booked through another app. So he had the map and the live location thing on the phone, but mm. put it into the car. And then the the sort of um, audio directions kept coming out through the car speakers when he was trying to listen to the news. So he was, was interrupting him when he was trying to t- mute it. Yeah, but he, he did it about seven times. And as I said, I ended up just getting out of the car and I would love to hear from you, like email me your views on this. Am I being too emotional and too sensitive about it? You know, am I right? Do you agree that we need to have more controls in place? Uh, You can email techtalk at newstalk.com. But it's interesting, Derek, to hear you mention that, you know, this is a conversation starter because I wasn't going to mention it because I just thought maybe I am being too sensitive. You know, it's more so about the operating systems and the the Skoda is great. Oh, it's a bigger issue. It's beyond any one brand. For sure. And and as brands have to step up and say, we're going to allow you to do this or you're, to interact with the system, you have to use voice so that you're not distracted from the road, etc. So, yeah, manufacturers, they're, they're well aware of it. And screens are just getting bigger like this one has a 13 inch screen. Like I've been in this, I've been in um, uh, EVs that like a 15 and a half inch screen. The thing is massive, like whether we need it or not, but uh, it is um People are ticking boxes and wanting bigger screens and wanting bigger infotainment and the ability to watch YouTube when you're charging, etc. Mm. Anyway, we'll move off that for now. But I do think we'll come back to it, though, because it is something that, um, as I said, I, I've got many thoughts and feelings about it. So we will come back to it. But back to the Skoda. Um, so you, you've kind of given us a good overview there. In terms of pricing and ticking a box for the consumer, you mentioned that these are in short supply. Is that just because of um, supply chain issues or is it because they're in such demand? Bit of both. Oh. Uh, you know, if, if yeah, if they are super popular uh, and with the rising fuel prices and people just been starting to be a bit more. The price of fuel has educated people as to, oh, what am I actually using? What am I actually driving? What's my mileage? And what could I be saving if I went electric, even mm-hmm. though the cost may be more expensive up front. And for a Skoda, you're talking 45,000 up to, you know, around the 60 mark, 50 odd, 58, depending on the trim and depending on what the bigger battery or the standard range battery. And so not cheap, but like fuel prices aren't going, unfortunately, the right way for everybody else. So it's a bit of a more so a stick rather than a carrot. People are going, oh, I'd love to go electric. Whereas now they're going, oh, I'm going to go electric because of the price of fuel. So there's a huge demand for electric vehicles. We're probably up at, at this stage, uh, 13 or 14 percent of sales so far this year. And so one in every eight, one in every nine vehicles sold is a full electric vehicle. Now, there definitely is a concentration on the East Coast and larger urban centers, because like what you're saying, Jess, you're seeing them out and about. Mm-hmm. So they're becoming the norm to you. You'll be getting in taxis that are electric. You'll be getting your deliveries from a certain online shopping company from an electric van in Dublin but if you go down into the country you may not be as aware you wouldn't see the chargers you wouldn't be used to them so it definitely is an an urban and that's not to say that there isn't electric cars down the country and, and in rural areas but the frequency of them definitely will be will be different to, to, to the consumer looking at them so people want them when they're seeing them they can see the benefits of them and then manufacturers are just are, are hand-strung you know that maybe they didn't forecast enough you have semiconductor issues you've got wiring looms that are made in the ukraine that volkswagen group use in some of their manufacturing well, some of their cars so obviously with the terrible stuff that's going on over there mm-hmm. factories are just closed down and it just shows that we're our global economy we're not just jess and derek making something in a factory in dublin that's uh, you know we're able to control everything when you have such a large supply chain and you're managing raw materials from X, Y, and Z, and if something goes wrong or a boat gets caught in the Suez Canal, 
and people go, oh, your car is now going to be three months later because of this knock-on effect. And yeah, it's 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 great to see that there's demand. Like if there's no Škoda Enyaq uh, on a four course sitting there waiting for somebody to buy it around the country. And that's same similar for a lot of electric vehicles. Mm. Um, and but what I'm finding is, and I was uh, I was speaking recently at an event, and consumers aren't saying, okay, I'm going to buy a combustion engine instead of it. They're waiting until the availability. Well, that so is a good sign. Yeah, that is like it shows that people are serious about it and they're not just like it's not an impulse thing. They want to make this move, but they also want the car that's going to suit them the best. And I think that's right. The, the right thing to do, because as we've spoken about on this program before, if you go out and buy the first EV that you stumble upon and you have a bad experience because it's not built for your lifestyle, you're not going to go again. So you're better off doing your research. Listen to people like Derek. Go and watch some of the videos up on the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel and find the one that suits your family. So if you're only, if you're someone like me who just kind of floats around the cities and that's the height of it, you won't need the same vehicle as if you are someone who does massive journeys around the place the entire time. So it is a case of doing your research, isn't it? From the style of the vehicle, the range, the price, the chargers, everything. Yeah, and I was recently talking to a, a new EV owner, or sorry, he was an EV owner, his second car, and he said he if he knew that he was going to have kids or he'd planned out the next five years of his life as to where we're going to be living, what's our commute going to be, am I going to still be working in the place I'm working, and are we going to have kids? The decision-making process of buying a car in general is totally different to start planning out. So yeah, understanding your needs and what would you do on the majority of basis, listen, Jess, you might buy a small electric vehicle because you, you go around the city on a regular basis and then you might take a trip down to Galway, Cork or Mayo, wherever it may be. And it may take you that bit longer, but that may be once in a blue moon. So buying the car for the majority of your needs is what we need to start thinking about. Buying the battery, that's this, the range that you need for the majority of times. Not always going, I want the biggest battery mm-hmm. car just because I might take the in-laws at Christmas time down to wherever it may be, Kinsale. Mm. That's not the reason you buy a car and, and, and or any like a car is probably the second biggest purchase you're going to make in your life after your house or redoing up your kitchen or whatever it may be. So it's definitely up in the top three of financial things that you're going to be uh, making decisions on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, look, as I said, you can watch uh, videos and get a guide to buying an EV uh, by listening back to the podcast that we've done over the last two or three years uh, with Derek here on News Talk, or you can head to YouTube right now and put in EV Review Ireland and you'll see all the videos. Uh, Derek, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can, of course, listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on News Talk Breakfast on Monday morning. And next week here on Tech Talk, we will have a very special programme because we'll be coming to you from both Chicago and Boston as part of the Gateway to Europe programme. So make sure you hit subscribe on your podcast app so next week's show just lands on your device as if by magic. John Friday's up next here on News Talk. I will chat to you next week.